Welcome to the World of Wisdom podcast. My name is Amit Paul, and uh, today I get to dive into sustainability, and I think we'll be talking about some design too, and uh, some, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, to do this. Uh, I met uh, the, today's guest some years back in a sustainability context, and uh, and we haven't talked for a while, and now it's fun to reconnect. So I'm very happy to have you. Welcome to the podcast as well, Ditta Lysgaard Wind. Very happy to be here. Indeed. I'm uh, starting us off with, uh, I don't know, it's either the hardest or the easiest question uh, that you'll get all day. We'll see. Uh, um, but uh, I'll let you introduce yourself as you see fit with uh, the question, who are you? I think that's for, for sure the hardest question. Um, I, I'm a kind of person that has quite a few few hats, um, but I work with uh, design and circular economy as tools to ensure that we can um, create value for people while staying within the planetary boundaries. So I come from a background of uh, material innovation and turning waste streams into uh, new materials, particularly for the built environment. Um, now, less so from a direct uh, um, involvement in the business and more on the sort of doing different uh, uh, thought leadership projects and teaching and stuff like that. And I'll be releasing my book called uh, Danish Design Heritage and Global Sustainability on Routledge in about a month's time. And then I chair the Danish Design Council. So it's so really focusing on how can we use design and circular economy as tools to um, to make sure that you know sustainability isn't just about doing less bad or uh, maybe we have this gut feeling that it will be uglier and less convenient and definitely pricier. And instead looking towards the planetary boundaries as a positive creative constraint that that hopefully can enable us to actually not just do less bad but move uh, towards um, a new and better place uh, so sort of you know this moving from our current despair towards repair and and ultimately towards reimagining a better world with uh, a key element being a focus on use rather than exchange value, as we unfortunately see as the sort of um, core driver for society today, so, and which isn't uh, for the benefit of, of people nor planet. I, I found myself getting curious because that's what you're speaking to here. Is is uh, it's nice because it has like a, a forward facing direction, if you will, or like a, it's not so doomy uh, in terms of like the planetary boundaries are there. You look at the realities, but there's something around that the what you said with regards to the enabling constraints. Uh, but I got curious about sort of how um, did you were you always that <laughs> that that uh, <laughs> that uh, positive about these things, or like what was your journey to to come to where you are right now and working in from that particular angle? I mean, the, like the, the the being positive. That's really um, a very active choice of being sort of. And I think it was, or at least I I got the notion of a stubborn optimist from uh, Christiana Figueres, um, and and to me that makes so much sense because that's how I can be the most constructive in in 
working towards changing the world for the better and, and hopefully, you know, making sure that we're not um, staying in despair and, and, and things are only getting worse. And so it's a very active choice and it, it comes back to this sort of that it there has to be this balance between, um, you know, doing doing the more sort of thought leadership and the book stuff and then the very tangible hands-on being very tactile in in seeing change happen and, and working with doers and change makers that that work in that regard because obviously there's there's no doubt that things are dire uh, to say the least and you know open a newspaper or we should at least when we open a newspaper but it doesn't always uh, they're not always um, reporting as much as they should but we do know that you know there's just an, an a continuous amount of dire facts uh, coming our way and we need to be super mindful of that. But for me, being an optimist is, is is the best way I can work towards creating change. And I think that there's, um, you know, hope and and I do have hope. Um, and I think hope is something that we should see as something that we have to earn because there's this sort of uh, hope that makes us um, better at what we do and, and more um you know, empowers us for change. Mm. And then there's the hope that is this sort of uh, hockey stick technology will save us all uh, that essentially uh, is a more of a paralyzing hope than, than an empowering. So it's, it really comes down to how do we, how we use it. Um, but yeah, for me and that I coming back to your question on, on what I'm coming from, I think I started working within the agenda of, uh, sustainability and and circularity um a little bit without knowing it uh, back in 2012 or something of that sort originally at um, at Ørstel uh, the Danish energy um renewable energy uh, uh giant and then moving more into the space of district heating and um waste management and and, and those types of things from a more of a consultancy perspective before um engaging with this uh, product as a service uh, subscription model for baby clothing and that that was like 2014 2015 and we didn't know that it was circular economy at the time but but quickly found this language around it which was really nice um, and just made so much sense and and the beauty of that model was really that there was you know uh, there was an alignment you know the better the quality the better it was for the user the better it was for the planet and the better it was for the business model. So that was really nice seeing that there is actually a way for that to, to go hand in hand if we work across um, the material, uh, the product design and the business model design because we have to have everything come together uh, to really have that where business becomes a friend rather than a foe for, for our future uh, and the necessary transformation. And from there, just really doing the deep dive into the built environment and the material creations, and so, um, which was uh, which has been incredibly f- fun and, and extremely rewarding. Um, I think we've also, you know, like with your with Paxima and everything going into because we one of the things we were doing was taking a very large industrial plastic waste stream that was a composite that you know a traditional industry couldn't see a way for it for it to be anything other than incinerated but by putting design first there was an opportunity 
to um, keep that plastics in the loop, uh, turn it into building materials, tables, chairs, etc., and then thus making sure that it was not incinerated and can be be continuously used, which is which was super difficult. And it's you know it's very different than you know when you're when you're in consultancy. It's like you know you can if you lose sleep, it's because you, you've uh, stayed up all night, you know, rewriting a document or uh, a PowerPoint or, or something like that. And you can you can you know you can rewrite it. Whereas in this case, you know, you um. You, you 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 lose sleep sometimes when you know like the strength test doesn't go your way or you know the fire <laughs> yeah. retardants or whatnot and you know you you can't like you you can't you know you can stay up all night but you can't just fix that in in the same way but and that makes it uh, uh, uh it, 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 it adds a completely different layer of risk and stress i guess in that regard but but it also it gives makes it so meaningful for me and that sort of you know the opportunity to go to the tool shop work with the all of the brilliant people that that has um the more technical capabilities because i for sure don't um and have those communities and i think that's also a key part of 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 staying optimistic of making sure that you have that tribe of fellow uh, collaborators and change makers mm. and and that we're not afraid to you know move outside the um the sort of the desks and and go to the tool shops and and just try things out for for real yeah i really like how you um the 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 aspect of like earning hope and and the empowering hope which is um quite wonderful because it's it's not like this passive act that something else someone else or something else will but it's actually something that we can we can do together um that's wonderful and i'm curious about one of the things that i've been thinking a lot about lately is like how how things look from the outside versus uh what it is when you actually do them or engage with them uh, from the inside so kind of what you were speaking to last year with regards to sort of being the consultant on the edge of something or like consulting on something versus actually being in the in the thick of it and actually doing the design and, and moving the product and and figuring out the actual technical issues and not being done until it's actually done and on the market and so forth. Um, in in terms of like circular economy and in terms of, of in, in that lens, like what would you say are the most common misconceptions uh, if we if we would say that like between the consultancy or like what are the most common like either miscommunications or like misconceptions between the consultant and the practitioner maybe I don't know if the but something like that. Um, I think the first thing that we have to address when talking about about, about circular economy is that it can really be um, a friend for the for the necessary progress, but it can also be a foe. And if we look at what has been happening so far, we're really lacking um, the um, the sustainability results that we want. Right? We we don't we're not seeing that decoupling of value creation from the use of uh, virgin resources, and in particular from um, uh, CO two equivalent emissions. So that's I think is a starting point that circular economy is a it's not a goal; it's a tool. And only when it is that tool does it have value, and we need to be mindful that because it it, it correlates so well with with business as, you, as usual, that provides an opportunity for disruption at scale, but it also provides an opportunity mm. for circular economy being um, uh, a sort of a a um, 
provide a front for business as usual to continue as it was. And then, you know, maybe there's a little bit of recycled material in it and then we think we can just uh, continue. So I think that's that's a key uh, misconception to just get very clear that, that circularity has no, for me, no purpose in itself. It's only when it actually creates that um, reduction in terms of our and, and, and enables us to stay within the planetary boundaries while creating value for people. Um, and that there is a really very, very large risk of it becoming a, a foe for the transformation needed so that we are super mindful of that. That also goes to the opportunity of, you know, um, we really need to work across like having a, you know, circularity has to be holistic in the sense of you have a material, you turn it into a product um, and then you need the business model around it. So one example being, you know, we have, um, there, there's a trend towards um, limiting single-use products, which is a great mm. trend because we need to, um, we definitely need to do that. But we need to be mindful of not um, introducing multiple-use products in a exchange value business model. So where mm. you might end up having, a, you know, you have a, a, a larger embedded footprint because it, it you actually um, needed more uh, energy to produce that of a higher quality but we end up still just implementing it in a linear business model and so thus doesn't actually use it and if we look at a building uh, materials perspective which is what I've been working uh, a lot with that also becomes very apparent we're not for the most case we're not tearing down demolition demolishing buildings because the materials can't of quality anymore or can't last we're tearing down buildings because uh, it, it you know we want a new use of that building or a new uh, yeah. uh, typology or whatnot so so there's something in that we really can't you know circularity can't be about the material or the product only it has to be about the context in which we implement it because otherwise we risk uh, doing um, more harm than good. Yeah, and I mean, it's like renovating your kitchen kind of thing. <laughs> it's like yeah. very rarely is it because um, the, the materials are actually at the end of their life. It's, it's other reasons or other yeah. things that have you do it. Now, the, the first point that you made um, with regards to the circular economy um, and, and using it as a tool, which I think is wonderful, um, but it relates to this... Um, What's it called? The Jevons paradox, right? Which is actually only true, I think, for for energy. But it's like as we redesign things and, and redo and rethink things, uh, other things becomes possible. And so, but but because of our mindset and because of our economies, how they are structured, rarely does a new innovation actually lead to savings. It just kind of occupies occupies a new space, and like we add it on to the other stuff. So our, our like use, even though we could save based on the new technology, we don't replace it. We rather just add to it. So the increase, like it still increases the uh, total use of energy or materials or whatever. Yeah, um, exactly. And I think in that sense, when we look at, at circularity and how well we're doing, and it's less, you know, it's less about, um, let's say, recycling rates or something of that sort. That's, that's, I mean, ultimately not that interesting. What's interesting is how many new, resources are we consuming and how much co2 and and similar 
um, gases are we emitting? And so that should ultimately mm-hmm. be what we measure it on, right? Because sure, we could get the recycling rates up, but if, if we're just, you know, um, expanding the amount of total material used, then we're not getting anywhere. So so I think that's definitely uh, much, um, it's, it's, it's an important area to focus on. Um, the second part also just in in terms of that is that we have a tendency to when we talk about circularity and that comes from I think from the waste management sector is that we tend to measure it in um, weight so in terms of, of you know like it weighted this much and whatnot when we should again really uh, measure it based on how much did it um, replace or how much were mm-hmm. it was not admitted to to that so how much did we reduce our our emissions based on circular economy principles there's there's still room for for us to get much better at that and but because what i wanted to kind of double click on that um the replacement um aspect of things that because in in a way we can only do so much with technology if you will and you're pointing to these three parts like the material the production the business model like the product and the business model that are are interrelating um but how have you seen any what's a constructive way of having the discussion about circular economy so that we so it also perhaps uh, relates to either the business model from the company's point of view but but the uh, the use part uh, of it as well from the consumer's point of view like What's a way for us to approach that in a constructive way? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I think there's, um, I like to, to look at it from a, um, you know, with mass production, et cetera, we've kind of moved towards a space where, you know, industrialization provided this really wonderful advancement that created new value for us. But somewhere along the way, you know, we had the opportunity to mass produce and, and, and somewhere along those lines, we kind of um, lost our balance to the point that, you know, it became more about um, adapting consumer behavior, consumer needs to mm-hmm. the capabilities and capacity of the production equipment when it should, of course, be adapting the production equipment to the needs of us as users and, and citizens. And mm. I, so in that sense, there is that going back to a focus on use value. So making sure that we actually care about the use and, and what it provides for us um, and measure on that and less on the, the current sort of scheme of exchange value, which is also one of the reasons why um, I look back uh, towards the Danish design heritage, because there was just a very embedded focus on the use value, which also means like just from a very practical perspective that because you cared about the materials and the product design and, and the aesthetics, they're still circulated to this day. They're still, you know, they're still providing um, a viable business for, uh, you know, the people who resell it, etc. Um, and and they were always a good business in in that regard. So I think that there's finding our ways towards moving back to to use value and less on of exchange value, which is a systemic change. And so and I think that's also 
we need to to move on many fronts at the same time but but we won't um, get to where we want to go without uh, a systemic shift and I think that comes back to right now there's you know a lot of sort of uh, you know if people tend to like it's either you know technology will save us or degrowth will save us and for me it's if, if we look at the at the mass scale of, of the problem it will have to be both like we have to create um, more value with less but we also need new solutions and I think Again, coming from the built environment, there's this um, example of how, you know, the UN estimates that if we look at um, patterns in terms of population growth, people entering the middle class, um, urbanization, then we have to, in order to cater to to that demand based on uh, current uh, consumption or square meters used, we would have to build the entire amount of square meters of Manhattan. So, you know, you like you're standing on Times Square and seeing like all of those skyscrapers and all of that amount of square meters, we would have to build every month to cater to that mm-hmm. demand. And that obviously won't work. But let's say that we really are ambitious and again, work with the planetary boundaries as a creative constraint. We might, you know, achieve, let's say that, you know, it's a, it's ha- that we can, create value with half of that or a fourth of that, that still leaves us, you know, to, to build the amount of um, Manhattan amount of square meters every second month or every fourth month. So for that reason, we also still need to remember the, the innovation part of, of, uh, of new materials and bio-based materials and, and just generally uh, remembering that innovation is also a necessary part of the puzzle and, and we need to work. Uh, on both things at the same time, unfortunately. Um, we've let things go on for such a long time that we need to kind of work in the duality between, of course, the long-term vision of, of where we need to go, but also being mindful of that we are really uh, at such a dire state in terms of the planetary t- tipping points that we also need to um, focus on the short term, like having large short term reductions um, quickly. Yeah, yeah. And let's. It feels like we should div, dive into the use versus exchange value thing because it's mm-hmm. so central to the argument. And I, it's easy to say, and I think it's less obvious when you really start thinking about the implications of it. So, so how would you uh, take us into that? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, maybe um, I'll use the built environment as an example again, um, because uh, if you look at it from from a context perspective and a business model perspective, and, and it's not it, my intention is not to roam, like be super romantic about the past. There's you know like this sort of this opportunity to you know find the future within the um, accumulated experiences of the past and then combine it with the opportunity of 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 innovation of, of the current, I think. But one of the things that, that is mind that it is important to be mindful of is that we used to build our buildings f- because there was a societal need for buildings. And then, you know, you, you did that with the purpose of providing housing or, you know, at least a place to stay for whoever uh, the user might be. And then you would have a financial sector pr- providing the service of liquidity. But this the sort of the overarching, uh, the, 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 the sort of um, 
the, the leading star would be the use value for people to stay within that building. Whereas today, you could almost say that the built environment has, to such a large degree, become an asset class for the financial sector. So it's almost as if the built environment is providing a service of an of, of a real asset um, investment opportunity for the financial sector, mm-hmm. and that matters because it it goes to who ultimately has the final decision. What does good look like when you build a building? Is does good is good ultimately measured in the well-being of staying within the building, the quality of the building, or is good and success ultimately measured in the returns that someone can put in a spreadsheet and and look at, but not, doesn't necessarily actually ever see the building. And so I think that's something where we need to go back and then look at, okay, how do we actually create um the future uh, business model for buildings, products, etc., that incentivizes quality and and use value. In that, probably we need to um, keep our things longer or have responsibility for those things longer. We need to be uh, more long term thinking in how long uh, that asset has to be of value. So you could imagine like one thing just being you know. Let's say you produce uh, a building material, you build a building, you produce a product, then you have a a responsibility to ensure that that lives for a certain amount of time. And let's say it's taken out of uh, its use cycle, you would essentially have a a debt to pay because of the embedded energy that you used uh, for for that material. So finding ways to incentivize that we keep our things for as long as possible. Um, I think is of the essence. And that's also why, going back to my um, original uh, sort of intro to circular economy, the product as a service business model is the sort of um, best, easily adaptable way to move towards that so that you as a producer has uh, a financial incentive to produce quality because then the, the longer, the, the more times it can be circulated, that will be the difference between having know positive numbers on your uh, on your balance sheet or red numbers in, in that regard yeah and I think I mean what you're pointing to is so important that that different that shift that has happened from like what like what need what need is and and like how need and want in our world right now is very conflated and and in some way I mean some people draw that line back to sort of the the birth of of marketing as a result of what you were speaking to before, like with the fact that we have these huge factories that are producing and the only, not the only way, but the best way for them to maximize their profit is that everything got used. So that's why we talk about the supply and demand curves, right? Yeah. Like the demand is not necessarily, it's not a need curve. It's it's how much do people want it? So let's like manufacture demand and let's, let's tell people that they want this because they become someone or they're insufficient if they don't have it or whatever whatever strategies we deploy. We don't have to go into that whole thing, but but it's very interesting. And then what you're saying as well is that um, the value that we put into products today is uh, mostly related to price, which is in some way related to cost which is in some way related to maybe the material stuff that we put into it. So if we, in some areas, it's not fully true, but it's like in some areas, it might mean that if we put more materials into it, more stuff into it, then it will be priced higher and therefore valued 
higher. So if you have a financial lens on, then you would want stuff to have as much materials in them as possible, which is not sustainable for our future. But but at the same time, like living in a house, um, that value, the value that we derive from living in the house is not necessarily related to the materials that we uh, draw, like that we that we have put in. But it it might be value, you know, related to um, our kids having a room or like the the space that are there that's there. Like all these other things come into the value of the house if we live in it versus if we see it as a you know how much glow, gold gold plating can we have on <laughs> on the elevators and on the different um, uh, utensils or whatever we have in our house uh, and, and value that and put that in a balance sheet. So those are very different um, ways of looking at what we own and the value of. Yeah, and I think that like there like there are two things to to be mindful of there. Like one, currently the game is rigged in the sense that we've um, privatized all the benefits of of emitting uh, carbon, and we've socialized all of the of the of the cost. So we're not really truly calculating the true cost of using materials. Um, we are, however, quite. Um, especially within the Nordics, but also in general, quite heavily taxing work. So there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a really unfortunate balance between not having the true cost of materials while at the same time having a very high cost on repair, etc. So that it, it just it, it creates an unlevel uh, playing field in, in that regard. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Also, with in terms of, of like the the need versus demand, there's um I've been diving into it in in the book um because um the Danish design um legend Paul Henningsen, who's he's very famous for his labs, um but he was also a very um vivid social critic and social thinker and and songwriter actually by by a chance, and so when um. The, the German occupation came in Denmark during the Second World War. He uh, created this resistant song um, that's that's very famous uh, today. And he actually managed to um, disguise it as a, a love song to be put on on a play that was that was being performed in in one of the Copenhagen theaters. And so German occupying power actually approved it because they didn't realize what it was about. Um, but it was mm. saying something like loosely translated in, you know, you can, you can tie us on our hands and feet and you can, you know, you can prevent us from speaking, but you can never occupy our minds. And, and just very um, beautifully symbolizing that with, because when, you know, like the text, even though the, 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 the occupying power hadn't realized it as soon as it was played in the theater, you know, the, the, the entire room rose and sang along because they understood what it meant from that. They still have had their free will. And soon it was played all over theaters in Denmark. But the importance of it here is that then in the, in the fifties, he comes back and says, we've, we've actually never been less free because mass Mm. production has, um, successfully uh, occupied our minds and i think that also goes to i forgot his name but the guy who wrote the the book propaganda at that time you know very clearly saying you know he's helping all of the like the large american producers and with the specific point of being well we need to make sure that the demand uh, meets our production capabilities so so we'll um we'll we'll you know we'll market it market our way out of it and and that's yeah, I think that's just important that we need to be mindful of, of all these things that we take as 
natural uh, given when it's in fact social constructions. Um, and so one of the things when I teach, I like to do this exercise. Um, and I also just, you know, try to do it a bit myself from time to time of saying, okay, if, um, if we look at the fact that we are in, like we've entered the Anthropocene, so what we do um, affects the planet and that affects our ability to thrive on planet Earth. And we didn't use to like we didn't know that at one point, and then for a long time, some some people did, but now it's really reaching mainstream. And so that is a like that is a scientific paradigm shift and scientific revolutions going back to Thomas Kuhn has uh, you know that's not something it's it's a very like it's a struggle to really have it um, pull through and become the overarching paradigm. But once it does it moves us to a better place. And like one example being, we used to think that, you know, the earth was flat. And then when people talk, started talking about the earth was round, it was super terrifying, right? Would you at one point just like walk off a cliff of the earth? Like what would happen mm. and what would happen to your things? And, you know, like whatever building is maybe a, a bit of a strong word for what you had at that time, but but your house and your, your home in, in that regard, what would happen? And, and what of course happened was that it, provided a much better ground for a science and innovation that that ultimately brought us to a better place and so if we look at the current scientific revolution going on um could we maybe also dare to imagine that that once implemented can get us to a better place and so the exercise being really uh digging deep and 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 asking ourselves what is it that we want to leave behind you know like just mm. saying you know um all of these things that are like you know like a sort of um a mental and material cleanup like hygiene of like just all of those things that are clogging up our, our minds and our buildings let's get rid of that we don't actually that provides no actual value for us and then there are the things it can be our innovation it can be our ability to, like our knowledge also all of our physical tangible assets right and that's stuff that we want to bring into the new paradigm and then the when it really gets interesting is the sort of like what do we want to move towards that we don't yet have and and that you know we can start um start framing that and and looking towards what that might you know shaping that new world even though we we can't fully understand it until we reach that new paradigm but but and i think that's where for me design again becomes so important right because we know so much of like what we need to leave behind but so little about what we're moving towards and that's just a very difficult um place uh, of coming from if, if we want to create change and if we want to create large-scale change if we want to create engagement so so i think that there's uh, there's a need and opportunity for us to get much better about talking about the things that we actually don't want to bring and the value that we could move toward if if we you know sort of uh, with paul henningson's uh, metaphor uh break free of 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 the of the um occupation of our minds by mass production yeah i i love that's so cool because it's also it does <laughs> when i just discovered sort of what the utility is of actually starting to orient towards opportunities and, and like why it is 
a little bit detrimental to us to keep orienting against towards these problems all the time. Because if we are trying to fix a problem, to avoid something that's going on that we perceive to be wrong in the world, then um, it's very hard to, from that, figure out what's a good solution. Or like, what, what does it look, you know, what are you trying to achieve, really? We're, we're, we're trying to achieve not this. It's very different from we're trying to achieve this. Like if you, if you formulate it in, a, in terms of an opportunity, like we, we have an opportunity to become circular, then we can look at the world through that lens and say, um, here are all these things that are in the way of that. Uh, and, and as we start looking at possible solutions for, for those, to address those different things, then we're not addressing the problems itself. We're trying to get to the end point. And, and that might be through, you know, <laughs> the, concretely, like with the flame retardants, for instance, like we don't want uh, long, persistent flame retardants in our products. No. Okay. So, so then uh, we, we find non-persistent flame retardants in our products. And sometimes those are still like endocrine. There are all these other values that we didn't take into our problem definition that come and bite us then. So that's, that's when we get sort of what they call regrettable substitution, right? No, but just like within that, that's from a very tangible perspective. Of course, we also need to be mindful of from a regulatory perspective that our regulations uh, are designed to deliver what we actually want and what the future looks like, where unfortunately, and that's again uh, an unlevel playing field, it's more or less created on what was available at a different time. And, and we should yeah. be, be mindful of that. But I think also just like for me, like a, a very uh, concrete e- example of, of what that sort of re, like not just repairing, but reimagining looks like is electrical electric vehicles. So I think, you know, I think electric vehicles are great, but not if it just means that we all sit in our individual car every morning and are like stuck in traffic, right? That's yeah. like, that's, that's not, I mean, we need to be much more ambitious on our solution space of how do we, you know, we want to, to move ourselves from one place to another and we want to have cities that are interconnected and that work um, and, and not, I mean, the amount of space Base that we are completely undervaluing because it's used for parking. It's it's ridiculous, right? So so there's this sort of not just replacing, but really truly reimagining how we do transportation, how we do city planning as a total, and and there we still have a, a, a long way to go. And and again, that's not saying that we shouldn't have electric vehicles. We definitely should. But we shouldn't aim for that. Every American then will have an electrical SUV. That, that <laughs> right. you know that that doesn't uh, that doesn't solve the problem. It won't get us anywhere near staying within the planetary boundaries. And, and it also, you know, there's also uh, a materials uh, um, sort of where do we utilize our resources and uh, and and we also if 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 we have to, if we drive electric vehicles, we also need to. Um, expand our uh, production of renewable energy quite uh, heavily and that also takes takes materials yeah yeah and and what you're saying is like if if i know if i can have for those that can imagine like really reimagine things uh, and like to to apply there and and to make it tangible for me if i can have an image to see like what is the city that i'm 
that I could have if we remove mm-hmm. the parking or the need for parking to that extent or whatever. I mean, that gives me, instead of me saying like, oh, I can't get the electric vehicle and so inconvenient and I have all of these costs and it's really terrible and, and like, oh, it was better in the good old days, you know, I can actually start longing for something. And then maybe some of the costs are actually actually there. Like if, if you're going to the gym every day, you know, it's nice to know that I live longer, I'll be able to be present with my kids longer. Like it's the benefits usually that pull us, um, keeps us going. Uh, in, in to the gym because otherwise you know whatever <laughs> yeah 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 and I think I think we need to to focus much more uh, on the benefits in order to win the fight essentially sort of, of, of and I and I think that there is it is very much a fight going on so we need to be super mindful of, of using the right and the best tools uh, to win it because otherwise we'll we'll lose yeah and speaking of that, actually, because uh, you you um, speak in, and are very devoted to like the the framework of the circularity, and, and another aspect which I've been looking a lot around is like the the regenerative lens, like mm-hmm. regenerative economies, and like and how do you see those two tool sets? And I mean, the way that I look at regenerative is like a lot through the permaculture that type of uh, yeah. design lens uh, of it, like how. How do you see those two and how they complement or contrast with one another? Yeah. Yeah. I think I see it on two two different levels. Like there is one um, going back to, to uh, what I was talking about, circularity being a tool rather than a goal. So mm. there is, uh, for if you look at um, the regenerative economy, the regenerative language, that's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, essentially a sort of, of that's a goal of the society we want to have. That's where we want to go. And circularity is one of the tools, not the only tool, but one of the tools that will help get us there. And then there's like what you talk about with um, permaculture and these sort of that are that are more on the details. And I think that's where we are still. I mean, that I think that's where they complement each other uh, very well. Um, circular economy has of course also a lot of within the uh, biological circle but but maybe has um so far we've seen the most uh, innovations within the technical cycle and the sort of technical materials um i think for me and i call it like i i use it actually as i i have this framework of saying uh, the four r's the circular way so it's like it's reduce because I mean, again, you know, we need to 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 have you know create more value with less, um, and then it's reuse and then recycle and then replace. And replace is really about finding those replacement materials where the bio based materials are, in my opinion, the like the by far most interesting um, thing to go to, like even the ones we have today, but also the sort of the next generation of of bio based materials where we can work with bio sort of bioengineering so engineering that's you know um working with nature rather than against nature is it's, mm-hmm. it's almost that we've had this unfortunate tendency as you know as we've got as, as we got more technological opportunities there was almost this sort of you know seeking new frontiers of like how far can we move away from nature and that would be kind of like what we innovated towards where now i mean hopefully we're starting to realize that was a really dumb thing to do because nature is extremely smart so if we really want to create good solutions we 
built on nature, we work with nature, we create, you know, we ener- uh, engineer in synergy rather than opposites with, with nature. And hopefully, you know, we're moving back towards that. And, and the realm of, of bioengineering is a, is a cool example of that. But um, if it's actual circular economy, I'm not sure, but, but it's definitely something that uh, I'm, you know, you sort of like a, a level of freedom and, and, and included it in um, my model uh, mainly because I see that when, you know, when you move into your tactile solution space, you know, you need to be mindful of that. Do I work with, with reuse? Do I work with recycled materials? Or is there actually a better material from the start? And then can I, can I work directly to, to implement that? Yeah, and I think, I mean, for me, with the why I have such a strong affinity towards the regenerative language mm-hmm. is because one part one it like puts life at the center. So like really what you were saying with regards to the what we've already been talking about with the need versus the want or like versus the the like who whose agenda are you trying to fulfill that that comes very central yeah. uh, in this and then like to prioritize the living things would be uh, sort of the what, what we would what we would um, try to do and then I tend to take a pretty wide definition of what living is but but let's uh, let's leave that aside <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then um, I think that's that's the been tripping me up a little bit uh, lately around sort of the sustainability and circular languages because it's like there's um there's a way to misunderstand it I think or sustainability it's actually probably built into it but it's like it's like sustaining what like mm-hmm. what are we sustaining like there's a, there's a way of, of looking at it that it's a kind of static in a way versus regenerative is like a, there's a direction in it. There's like a different dynamic uh, balance, which has holds something. And the way that I hear you speak of circular, that would sort of be part of, be part of that. Like it's, it's a tool to employ to actually improve something or shift something or move something. Uh, But it's like, there's just something around that. um, Whatever we're doing right now, at least the way that I'm seeing it, it's not quite working. Like (laughs) there's a lot of things that that could be different and could be better. Yeah. Um, so, so like, how do we get to that? And that's where I like the regenerative language, uh, you know, and, and those are semantics, I think, in how we speak about it. But nonetheless, just wanted to. Yeah. I mean, I think it comes back to that sort of, that we need to be super mindful that circularity is again, it's a tool, not a goal, but also that, uh, that, and that tool can be used for good as well as bad. Um, yeah. You know, you can like, you can open like a, a fashion magazine and you sort of like, should there even be fashion magazines or is like, is there a future for fashion magazines? Not in, in, in my opinion, not in the current format, but who's to say they can't, maybe they can also reinvent themselves uh, that I'll be definitely open to that. But just to say you can open like a, a fashion magazine today and there'll be like this sort of, oh, here's your sustainable consumption or here's your guilt-free <laughs> consumption because the, the clothes is made with recycled materials. And obviously that has nothing to do with neither sustainability or moving towards a regenerative society. That's just, um, you know, a new version of keeping business as usual. So that's like, that's a faux rather than a friend. And I think that, you know, we yeah. need to just be mindful that circularity depending on the context and the the why of, of the implementation can be used uh, for for both and, and and I think that goes for for most things essentially that there is this sort of um, yeah being mindful of the incentive structure that we that we implement it with um, and and who benefits and who doesn't and and when we are um, you know moving 
out of the current uh, power structures and to new structures, which is a very, very difficult thing to do, right? It's also, I think, you know, I'm a very sort of um, focused on on systems theory in, in that regard. And there's just, you know, um, for better or worse, um, one of the things of systems is that they're extremely resilient and, and good at, at, at sort of upholding themselves. And so I think that's the key issue today that we have. You know, we have that, um, we need to recalibrate our overarching societal system and putting society back on top and then having a, a number of subsystems uh, beneath the societal system, including um, capitalism and the financial system, but as a tool rather than a goal um, as it's seen as now and, and, and in which it's, you know, it's it's working to um, keep itself alive more than working towards fixing societal problems. And, and obviously uh, keeping the capitalistic system alive shouldn't be our overarching goal. Uh, on the contrary, it, it, should, it should be used when of value to ensuring we, so, we solve societal problems, mainly being that, or for me, mainly being that sort of need to to uh, to to create value for people while staying within the planetary boundaries and and create value for the global population. Yeah, I mean, you said it really. I think when we had our pre-call, you brought in this sort of the Fairphone quote about sort of how. Yeah. Uh, like, please buy our phone, but don't buy it unless you actually need a phone. Like, whatever phone you have right now, if that's still working, then don't buy our phone. Like, you know, it's like that type of of thinking, which is very different. Um, I, I have a cu- curiosity around measurement in all of this. Like, mm-hmm. with regards to the circular economy, uh, and with regard, like, what the the things that you are thinking about with regards to like designing something which is um, circular and, and which could actually do better for us uh, living beings. How, um, what are the measurement points that you have been, that you find generative or like constructive? What, what, what would point us in the right direction, if anything? I mean, there's, there's that balance of, um, you know, being holistic, but also making sure that we're not paralyzing ourselves to inaction because it's not perfect, right? Mm. And so for me, that's really sort of like, um, there's of course the wider scheme of, of of the planetary boundaries, but in particular, which is also what I I, I understood from you know Johan Rockström and the Stockholm the Resilience Center and etc. That that you know if we uh, if we manage to to avoid the tipping points within climate change and biodiversity, we will be okay. But if we don't manage to avoid the tipping points uh, within those two or one of those two, we will not be okay regardless of how many of the other planetary boundaries that we actually succeed at staying within. So for me, it's um, that sort of particularly measuring on carbon um, and then also looking towards the land land use issue of how do we make sure that this isn't... um, Depleting, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and and you know, sort of like having a cost from our biodiversity perspective, which especially if you look at you know, if working within the built environment, that's of course something that we need to be super super mindful of because it is so extremely resource intensive and it, it takes so many resources, um, 
and and there's I mean there's also a lot of talk about that within bio-based materials which I mean obviously we need to be mindful of how we plant um, the different things we might use but um, I don't see that that has to be an issue as long as we make sure that we truly reimagine just you know rather than just planting monoforest and obviously that's not the way forward but I, I do see that there's definitely ways forward in which we can just be much smarter about how we go about and if you look at at hemp for instance as a as a as a which is also a quite uh or is a very useful building material you can you can plant hemp uh, also to refertilize the soil so it's actually not depleting the the soil that you have a, a, a a production there it's on the contrary making it more viable for you to have another uh, crop growing in in the future and it sounds like what i'm hearing you speak to in, in a way here is like also these um solutions as they're often marketed i mean they are probably more like tools and they yeah. need to be uh, carefully implemented in the right contexts so that they are actually doing the job that we hope for them to do so so it's not like Here's a solution. Just take take it and run with it anywhere, but like return and, and do your do your analysis. Like look at what the costs are, as well. Um. And 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 I think that's I mean that's the balance because I see I mean even really great solutions coming from a good place, but where there's this sort of tendency to ooh if we do this then we can continue in in the current system and for me it's not one or the other we need all of the cool innovations but we also need to recalibrate our systems and make sure that that sort of like society goes back as being the society the the, the, the top system that that all of the other systems work to uh, improve rather than to, you know society being a subsystem to to the financial sector and that's that's something that we need to to work towards yeah yeah I like that and and also just like this uh, I mean there's a lot of talk about but just scale how how tricky scale is uh, to to consider in these things and that you might and and if we again borrow from nature I mean there are always I would say always local adaptions to like fauna or whatever it is like even it's the same species is gonna behave differently in a different context depending on what's available and, and so uh, perhaps we need to consider that as well like we can some things we should scale and, and scale out and, and really be clever about, and some other things maybe we should um, think differently about. Uh, that that uh, again, and if we think about it as tools rather than solutions, that sorts itself out because you know you'd be clever about how you use your tools so you can use it in the best way possible with the least energy or least you know cost to to using it as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely. I think one thing like talking about scale that we need to be super mindful of is that even though we can and should continue to innovate, um, we do, we do know, like, we know what we need to know in order to fix the problems today. It's not a technical barrier. Like it's, it's, it's a, it's a cultural barrier. It's an economic barrier, a psychological barrier, like the system of, Again, this sort of like that the capitalistic system is, is is on top. So we're like the the main point being of uh, keeping the current system alive is what's been worked towards. Um, but if we if we if we got society back on top, we could fix things with what we know today. That's really yeah yeah because otherwise it's just sort of like oh we have to wait for you know 
carbon capture and storage to get to this certain point and we have to wait for that and that and that and that's like no if we if we really start working with used value rather than exchange and we start deploying all of the the, the innovative solutions that we already have today and have that has been tested successfully on on pilot level but there's just not there's lacking that financial incentive to do it at scale then, then we could we could get there and i mean it's like it's also like there's the way that I try to think of it, it's like, if it sounds too simple in a way. And then I just want to like make the distinction then between simple and easy. Like it, it might be very simple, but it's definitely not easy just because it's simple. But, but, and at the same time, like if we look at nature, a lot of these like very simple rules, like towards the sugar, not away from it, or like whatever it might be that yeah. an amoeba is doing, like in their thing, it's super simple, but it doesn't mean that it can't generate complexity. Like if you just iterate and iterate and iterate, like things emerge, like things happen. Like, they, things take shape uh, in different ways from very simple basic principles. And so, uh, yeah. And it's not easy to deploy simple principles. It's definitely not. No, <laughs> no, 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 not at all. I think it's just that, that it is, I mean, it's, it's extremely difficult to change social constructions, but unlike uh, nature, it's, it's feasible. Right, it's not the laws of of nature. It's 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 our socially constructed laws that we could, however difficult it might be, change. So um, I kind of want to round us off uh, in this conversation. But but um, well, actually, just one open question: like, what um, did I miss something that you wish I would have um, that we would have addressed in this? Uh, oh, um. I don't know. I think maybe just like this sort of like, you know, that there's, um, you know, the problem is so big that there's a need for all of us. And I think that there's um, an opportunity for, you know, those working within this uh, space of transforming uh, to a better world focused on use rather than exchange value and where we stay within our planetary boundaries that we get better at nurturing each other across the different solutions. You know, you might work uh, on it from one perspective. I work on it from a different perspective. But given that, you know, it won't be one silver bullet, but um, thousands of of, of, uh, of uh, solutions necessary, that you think that there's an opportunity that we are we get better at, at nurturing each other, uh, celebrating you know, the small victories, it doesn't mean that we should then, you know, stop and become complacent and say, oh, I solved that, you know, let me lean back and, 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 and stop here. But, but there's a, there's a difference between, you know, and I think that's sort of like not letting perfect get in the way of good. Like we can celebrate mm-hmm. the small victories because we need those wins to, to energize us and keep us going. And then just helping each other continue to do that. And, and also just, you know, realizing that, especially because we need the speed that we do, um, failure is a necessary part of success, right? If we don't fail, we're not learning quickly enough. So also, how can we help each other dare to fail and, and most importantly, dare to talk about our failures so that it's not just, you know, the one individual, the one organization that learns from those failure, but that we sh- that we all learn from it and, and move um, move from there because uh, yeah, speed is 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 of the essence. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. And uh, 
So the last question that I had was also like to your students or or to the listeners now, like from from all of your experience and, and the education and the writing and all of the research that you've done in this field, like what would be the one, two or three stances or points or takeaways or like recommendations or, or something that like in terms of like incorporating into their own lives or incorporating into their own minds or, or I don't know where, but like what would be the recommendations that you would have? Like, what would you have people look at? Or like, what's what's a good way to approach this subject to to not get lost in the cultural waters? Or uh... Yeah, I think a, a really good starting point, and that's also coming back to why design is, is so key. It's this, um, and it's uh, like, the, I got the notion from Donna Haraway, but she has this uh, notion of staying with the trouble. That you know we need to get comfortable in the trouble space, right? Because otherwise, we um, treat the symptom, not the root cause. So really, getting comfortable with what is it actually that we want to move towards, and then once we really understood that, then being super ambition again, seeing the planetary boundaries as as a um, positive creative constraint that actually heightens the, the the final solutions, makes it better than what we could have done in, you know, the sort of Holocene of, of the scientific paradigm um, in order to shape that future. So that also means like getting super practical and tactile and, you know, not being afraid, afraid of putting on details, but also very importantly, not being afraid of trial and error and testing it out, right? We Like we can't spend years in, in this sort of laboratory without you know, talking to the users or having it tested, we need to get much better at 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 allowing for that because it just creates so much value uh, early on. Beautiful. And if people want to read your books or or find out more about you or even uh, work with you, uh, so wh- why should they work with you and where can they find you uh, online? They can definitely they can find me on uh, thecircularway.com that sort of has all of the different uh, different outlets. Um, there so i would i would recommend there uh, checking out there there's the books and the different innovations and stuff like that it's a good starting the link point. will be in the show notes as well so thank you so uh-huh. much for taking the time Dita. this was uh, really wonderful thank you thank you very much for the conversation and for having me it's very nice to get like you, you get a nice sort of uh going through your like you you know you kind of get to le- you remember your own perspective and and, and learn a bit about yourself yeah, <laughs> the, the rest yeah. of the person <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah